Praise the Lord. Thy children are gathering home. With joy they are gathering home. From all the divisions in which they were scattered, thy children are gathering home. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about believers' conduct, the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we live our lives, our conversation is a word that the Scripture uses. And I don't know a lot of you, maybe most of you, I don't know. I, don't know, I know very little about everyone here. So if there's anything that hits you, please thank God, because He loves you enough to bring it to your attention, okay? This is, this is a hard message for me as I was preparing it. I know that it's a message that God wants for the church at this time. I think there's few that are willing to preach such a message, but we must hear from God's Word and comprehend what it is that He wants for us. The one that we call Jesus said that He was the way, the truth, and the life. If we follow Him, we copy or imitate His way. And as the pastor, I I sometimes have difficulties that I have to iron out or I have to bring to people's attention. And sometimes I have to call a meeting. And there's been times when I've called meetings and people have been agreeable and they've understood what I had to say and and they've adjusted to the Word of God. Other times uh, there's those that have resisted. And uh, sometimes I'm able to communicate clearly, other times not so much. I'm, I'm not always concise. I, I want to be, but I'm, that doesn't always happen. And, and that's one of my weaknesses, is the lack of being able to be concise. But I pray for that, and, and I ask that you all would pray for that too. Not that I would cut messages down to five minutes or anything, but I want to make sure that I cover everything, because it's important. I, I take this seriously. You know, I have a great deal of reverence for God. I have a fear of God that when I get in this pulpit, I'm speaking to people, and God's going to hold me accountable for what I say and for anything I don't say. And so I try to cover everything, all right? And sometimes it's difficult. And, you know, sometimes at meetings, there's, there's people that don't want to hear what I have to say. And, uh, in fact, I had one recently, in, in recent history anyway, um, where there were people that they didn't want to hear what I had to say. They rejected what I had to say. They didn't want to come under my pastoral authority. And they don't comprehend that. They, they, they placed themselves over me, and, and I love them, but I had to put them straight on the matter at hand at that time. They thought they were correct in their position, but they were mistaken, and they were manifesting works of the flesh in the process of trying to uh, put forth their position. And that's what sparked this message, actually. I've written this a while ago. I didn't just, not everything, but I, I didn't just write the whole message yesterday or anything. I believe we all need to learn what the Scripture says about manifesting fleshly works. It's important for the body of Christ today because we live in a world that's so fluid as far as morality. We live in a world that's so fluid as far as those things that God says are immutable. 
Some people will say, well, it's right for you, but it's not right for me. Or this is right for me because I believe it's right for me, but it doesn't necessarily have to be right for you. But when it comes to the Scripture, it is unchangeable. What is in the Bible is absolutely certainly the way that we are when it comes to human conduct, especially how we are to guide our lives. There are parameters in the Bible. They're like the the painted lines on the road. They're not there to harm you. They're there to keep you safe, okay? Safe from all those things that are outside of the lines. And I hope that we can all improve our walk with Christ as our guide, and, and hopefully this message will help us in some way to do that, because we need to avoid the works of the flesh. I'd like, before we continue to pray, just briefly, Father, I thank You. I trust, Lord, that You are in control here, that Your Spirit is ruling here. And, Lord God, I ask that You would take a hold of my lips, my tongue, my mouth, every bit of me, Father, and use me to Your glory and Your glory alone, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. We're going to open our Bibles, and uh, I believe Tony's going to put it up on the screen, to the fifth chapter of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. And there we will find, in Galatians chapter 5, we'll begin at verse 16 and read through verse 24. I believe that's what I marked in my Bible here, 24. Actually, I'm going to go into chapter uh, 6 and verse 1. So we won't have a few of the verses up there. So if you have a Bible there in your seats, you may want to open it to Galatians chapter 5. That's page 1793 in those Bibles there in your seats you want the easy way. And that always helps me. That's why I share the page numbers with you. And this is Paul's letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the people. They're called the Galatians, okay? They were in Galatia. I'm not going to give you all the history of them and all that. It was a church like this church. It was a body of believers, Christ's family, that met in Galatia. And beginning at verse what I say? 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. It's not your will being done. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, and he's telling them in advance, this is a problem. And he also told them before, he says, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things, notice the word practice, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. 
and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if man is overtaken, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, be gentle, but you got to bring them back to what's right by God within the parameters of our conduct as believers. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I asked that God would add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word. We heard two lists there. The works of the flesh. It's a big list. Big, big list. Works of the flesh. And then you've got the fruit of the Spirit. And they're put against each other right there in that passage that we read. The fruit of the Spirit gives you the power, the ability to overcome the works of the flesh. And that tension between flesh and spirit can be very extreme at times. And even yours truly can slip into fleshly responses. That, there's, that happens. I'm not the worst of them, I suppose, what people would think of the worst of them. But, for example, last Friday we were at the food cupboard. And uh, God bless my wife. She volunteers. She helps. But somehow she had the wrong date, and she put the wrong date on the appointment cards. We give out little cards, just like business cards, and it says your next appointment is on such and such a date at such and such a time. And we didn't find out until after it was all over. And I said, how could you put the 13th? It's never the 13th. Never. If the first day of the month is the first, then the second Friday, the first Friday is the first, the second Friday is the seventh, the third Friday of the month is the 14th. There's no way it could be the 13th. How could you do that? She said, I'll get in touch with everybody. I said, did you write down their phone numbers? She said, no. (laughs) How are you going to get in touch with everybody? I'm going to have to be here on the 13th. That's what's going to happen. I'll have to be there because there will be people that show up. Some have already called. Some have texted and said, hey, uh, it says the 13th, but that's not the third Friday. Some people know. Other people don't. And so I've already apologized to her. I love you. She hears me. I have one mic. Uh, I've already apologized to her, but I also need to apologize to the rest of you who were there because I I wasn't bouncing off the walls angry, but I was upset, and it was obvious I was upset. And some people said, okay, it's all right. You'll figure it out. I think that was Meg (laughs) or maybe Emily. I don't remember who exactly, but they were trying to calm me down because I I had this, and you could call it mildly, an outburst of wrath. I was upset. I was angry. Now, anger in itself is not sin, not in and of itself, okay? Because the Scripture tells us that we can be angry and not sin, sin not. Excuse me. We're going to read over uh, verses 19 to 21 again, all right? I think we have a slide for that. Yes, we do. Okay, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath. There's that one, wrath. Strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in the times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Though it was mild, my slip into the works of the flesh was there in the anger, in the wrath department, okay? And if I have one that I slip in, 
that would probably be the one that happens most frequently. Not frequently like all the time. I'm just saying if, if I slip into one. I don't want you thinking I'm this angry man that runs around being angry all the time. I'm not. But as I said, anger is not in itself evil. In fact, the Scripture tells us in Mark chapter 3 and verse 5 that Christ got angry because of hard hearts. And if anger, as one little fellow told me, was a demon, uh, then Christ had a demon because He got angry. Of course, I have to rebuke that because I know that anger is not a demon. Anger in itself is not evil. In fact, many passages of Scripture relate the anger and wrath of God being directed at His people. God directs His anger at His people who do not live the way that He wants us to live. It's written in Ephesians chapter 4, "'Be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil.'" In other words, if you become angry, you've got to settle it as quickly as possible. Before the end of that day, get it worked out. And of course, I did. My wife and I talked it out, and I explained to her what, where I was thinking. She knew where I was. She knew what happened. And I apologize to her. And that's why I needed to apologize to everybody else who was there who saw me get upset, because I, I don't want that to happen. But I'm telling you that I'm confessing my sin, because, of course, the Scripture tells us to confess our sins one to another, but I'm confessing it because I don't... I want to be held accountable. I want to be held accountable to the Word of Almighty God. He tells us not to do that, and yours truly has to abide by the Word of God also. Now, we're going to look at other works of the flesh as quickly as possible, Adultery, that word occurs 40 times in the Scriptures, and uh, in a physical sense, it means intercourse with another spouse whether you are married or not, and likewise, intercourse with anyone other than your spouse, okay? Pretty simple. I think we all understand, all us adults understand what that means. And this was punishable by death before Christ sacrificed His life to pay for our sins. But it is written in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, which... And Todd and I had not talked about this, reading from Hebrews chapter 10 today. He didn't know that this was in my message, and I didn't know before this morning that he had that scripture. He may have told me earlier, I'm not sure. It's written, if we sin willfully, if we willfully sin after having received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice. And that's a difficult passage for us to accept. Because Word says, if we go back to sinning, we go back to manifesting the works of the flesh, that sacrifice has been removed. And I don't like that any more than a whole lot of other people, but that's what His Word says. We have to be careful not to live in the works of the flesh. The next one that we see in that list is fornication, and that is sexual activity between unmarried persons and it also can mean to force into prostitution, to play the harlot, to be whorish, sexually wanton. It can also be adultery and incest. And the Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee fornication. Flee! Think about fleeing. Fornication is an enemy. It's an enemy of Christ's people. It is an enemy of our souls, and I'll tell you why. Not from my words, but from God's Word. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he that commits fornication sins against their own body. 
Figuratively, fornication is to be unfaithful to God. And uh, our Lord said it's a cause for lawful divorce. Matthew chapter 5 is where it's written. He said, if anybody divorces their wife except for fornication, they cause her to become an adulteress. And then He says, if anybody marries her, they're also in adultery. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 2, it's written, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, and here is the message that I share with the young people. To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. And then there's a passage after that that says, Don't withhold sex from each other unless for a time with mutual consent. Because the fleshly urges are there, whether we like it or not, they're real, and they are on all of us, or maybe the majority of us. In Colossians chapter 3, it's written, mortify, which means to kill, to subdue. Mortify your members which are upon the earth, and there's a little list there, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, which means evil sexual desire covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. You know, I wrote these notes a few weeks ago, so I want you all to know that this has nothing to do with anything that's happening right now in your lives, okay? Please understand. This was written about a particular situation that took place weeks ago, probably two months ago or more. And then we go on to uncleanness. It's found, that word is found uh, 40 times in the Scripture. It means physicality, sexually physical, okay? In the physical sense, it's sexuality, sexual uncleanness, even uncovering the genitals. And see, this is where pornography, if it was not wrong in any other way, it's unclean in that it uncovers the privates of other people, okay? And this is God's Word, and I'm using the definitions of the root words so that you comprehend what I'm saying, okay? And I know you're all getting it, and and I see by the looks on your faces. I know this is uncomfortable, but God wants us to hear His Word on this, okay? It also means, in a moral sense, the impurity of lustful, luxurious, wasteful living. And I don't believe any of us are living like that. I don't think there's a problem there. But it does fit into that same category of uncleanness. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's written, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And you see the difference. Do you see the tension between cleanness, which is holiness, and uncleanness, which is anything that isn't holy? And see, that small voice within you will let you know whenever something is unclean. God's Word is true. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's written, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient but rather giving of thanks. And and this is a passage that God convicted me on um, getting into the pulpit and telling jokes. 
He doesn't want me in the pulpit telling jokes. And every once in a while, he allows me to slip something in. It'll make you all laugh. And a lot of times, it's not even planned. It just happens. But he doesn't want his preachers to be jokers. His jesting is not what God wants for the man of God who presents God's Word, because His Word is serious. It matters for our lives, folks. It matters. Nor jesting. Lasciviousness. That uh, root word's found six times. Maybe it's the English word that's found six times. The root word might be a few more. And that uh, covers unbridled lust, excess, recklessness, and shamelessness, and immorality, and absurdity, and disrespect. In Mark chapter 7, we hear this, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, and all these things come from within and defile the man or woman. They're in the heart. And this is why we need that great physician to do the surgery on our hearts, to cleanse us from that impurity, to get it out. And it doesn't show up in our conduct. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And you see, that is the cure for what ills us. That is the cure. It's God's own sacrifice that cleans us of all of these things that He says are outside of the parameters of our conduct as His children. He bought and paid for us with the sacrifice of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's written, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They're greedy to do wrong, is what he's saying. And we're not to be that way. He says the, the road that we're on, that path that we're on, is a narrow path. Outside of the boundaries of that path, outside of the parameters of that path, are all these things that God says don't. And he says don't, not because he doesn't want you to enjoy living here. He says don't because they harm you. He wants to protect you even from yourself. And moving on, we find idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Oh, did you notice that the first four of those were all sexual sins? That's a big deal. It matters. Human sexuality was given to us by God for procreation and, dare I say it in a church service, enjoyment. God says so. It is for our enjoyment within the boundaries that He set. So, idolatry is worshiping anything but God, including self. <clears throat> We've done some services and messages on self-worship recently, sacrificing to false gods, image worship, literally or figuratively, and sadly, there are many, even in the church today, who worship themselves. 
And we have got to be on guard against that. We must protect against that. Because so much of what passes, and I'm not going to go into a sermon about it, but so much of what passes as so-called Christian music is self-worship. And when you read the lyrics, if you just read the lyrics with an open mind, you see who they're singing to and who they're singing about. And it isn't God. And that breaks my heart. And I have to speak about it. I have to speak out about it. Sometime God's probably going to have me write about it. When we look in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we, we hear this in the, in the first part of 1 Samuel 15, verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Stubbornness is as iniquity, it's sinful, and it's idolatry. Rebellion is like witchcraft, and stubbornness is sin and idolatry. We don't think of it that way. Now, there are times when God makes His people stubborn. He says so. He says, I've made, to Ezekiel, he said, I made your head as hard as flint. He said, you're going to go up against them, and your head's going to be harder than theirs, and you're going to get the message across to them whether they like it or not. He's done that for me. And sometimes I have to stand up to those who really believe that they are correct in their thinking when they are not. And that's difficult. But... It doesn't stop me from doing it, nor should it stop you. If you're certain that God's Word is clear on a matter, you need to share His Word to bear upon the lives of those people that you're interacting with. Those who stubbornly rebel against godly leadership reject biblical teaching, and they fight against God's authority that's vested in His servants. In a place like this, the pastor is the one that God has granted authority to bring His Word to bear upon the lives of all who arrange themselves in these seats. That's not a place I want to be. It's not a place I ever wanted to be. I ran from it for many, many years, and some of you know my testimony. But God had His way, and He has me here, and He calls me to bring His Word into your lives so that you will line up with what it is that He wants for you. You know, I told you about those folks that were worshiping the idol of self. They were committing a sin like the sin of witchcraft. But I highly doubt they'd ever acknowledge it. I, 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 I'm sad to say I don't believe they would ever acknowledge that. But it's still sin in God's eyes. It's His way or, or it's sin. And it's written in... 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee. See, idolatry is the enemy of souls. Idolatry is the enemy of souls. And we are to flee. Run from it. Not just say, well, you know, I, I only idolize a little bit of stuff. No. He said, flee. Run. Get away. And we get back to that word witchcraft. It means to use divination, bewitching, or fascinating attraction, or charm, sorcery, 
Magical arts, it's often found in connection with idolatry, and it's fostered by it. And then there's a part that none of us is going to like, medication, pharmacy, by extension, magic, literal or figurative. It can be used to control people, and that's the point. That's why we avoid drugs. We can use that word, okay? Because it's used to control people. That's what makes it sorcery. That's what makes it wrong in the eyes of God. God doesn't want anybody to have control over us. We're to have one master. Who's our master? Who's our master? Christ is our master. Almighty God is our master. In 2 Chronicles, it's written that Manasseh, he was 12 years old when he became king, and the passage tells us in, uh, let's see, verses 1 and 2, I'm going to jump over a little bit of that, because he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. In other words, he was mimicking the ways of the world. The people that God had cast out from before them, when they came into that land that God had promised, here was Manasseh doing the things that they did. That's outside of the parameters of what God wants for His followers. And then in verse 6 of the same chapter, 2 Chronicles 33, Manasseh used enchantments. And there's many in the church today that use enchantment to get control over people. They used witchcraft, and he, he dealt with a familiar spirit. And there's some who deal with familiar spirits, and they call it Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything contrary to the Word of Almighty God. And that's the truth of the matter. And he also dealt with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. See, God was angry. Anger's not a demon. Anger's an emotion. And God has emotions, whether we like it or not. God gets angry with His people. It's written in James 4, 7, resist the devil, and he will flee. And you all hear me say that enough times. He will flee. Not he might, or he could, or maybe he'll decide to. No, he will flee. And then we move on in the list. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, hatred, hostility. It implies, it implies a reason for opposition, enmity. See, we were once at enmity with God, but by Christ we were brought in. We were, that enemy status was removed when we surrendered to Christ. It includes the resentfulness. And there are those who are opposed to the true teaching of God's Word who are resentful. They resent whenever the Word of God comes to bear upon their lives. They resent it because it calls them out of their sin. If God's convicting you, folks, please thank Him. He loves you. You're one of His. And I'm not saying He is. I gotta, I'm not saying He is convicting you, but really, seriously, this is important that we all get this, okay? Those who oppose the teaching of God are very often resentful of the truth, and they bitterly oppose it. Bitterly. 
they dig their heels in and they say, no, that's not the truth. The truth is what I say. And I've been hit with that enough times, I know it when I see it. The moment I see it, I know it. If I'm standing on the promises of Christ my Savior, if I'm standing on the Word of Almighty God as my foundation, and somebody comes at me with something that isn't of the Word of God, that isn't part of that foundation, that isn't a part of Christ, guess what, folks? I say, stop. This isn't of God. And I have to do that. And then I get accused of being controlling or something. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm not. Anybody here who knows me knows that I'm not. But I want to do what's right within the parameters of what God sets up in His Word. And so I try to guide everybody like a shepherd. Not drive, lead. And there's a difference. We'll look at that sometime. Variance is another word that's in those uh, fleshly works. Contention, strife, wrangling, difference that produces dispute or controversy, disagreement, dissension, discord. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go against this particular fleshly work in my work with Christ. Because there are people that believe they're absolutely certain that they're correct when they're wrong. And they refuse to budge, even though you bring the Word of God to bear upon what it is that they're wrong about, they reject the Word of God. And they stand on their own principles, their own doctrine, their own teaching, their own will, their own way. And that is not within the will of Almighty God for His people. Variance, contention, strife, wrangling. I've had people bring contention and, and wrangle against my teaching. Had a woman right in the doorway there one time. John was there, watched it happen. Woman came out of here and just, boom, got right up in my face and bah, 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 I chewed my face off. Because her teaching was different than what the Word of God proclaims. And John said, I don't know how you could take that, Pastor. I said, I'm used to it. You proclaim the Word of God, people want to chew on you. Sometimes like pit bulls, they don't want to let go. But when you resist the devil, amen. And you know, everybody who was present during that particular meeting had to witness that battle. And I believe it was so that they'd be strengthened in the power of God's will by the truth. Almighty God has made me firm in matters of truth. Amen. He's made me firm. I will not waver when it comes to the truth of His Word. Amen. I may not always get it right. If I get it wrong, you point it out, I will acknowledge that I got it wrong, folks. But I'll tell you, I spent a tremendous amount of time studying God's Word over my lifetime, the last 50 years or so. 50 years? No. About 45, 47, not 50. I'm dating myself, sorry. But I refuse to budge when I'm certain about the truth of God's Word. For example, I'm absolutely certain we are not to worship ourselves. For example, just for example, we've covered this, and I'm not going to go into it, but we can't worship ourselves and say we're worshiping God. It is idolatry. 
It is idolatry, straight up. There's no other way to describe it. It is idolatry. Self-worship is idolatry. And much of the church today is exactly, they're steeped like old tea bags in idolatry and they don't realize it. And I don't want anybody who hears me preach think that somehow that that's okay because it's not. It's not okay in the eyes of God. He makes that clear. He makes it absolutely clear. And we have to remember that it's Satan versus God when it comes to worship. Satan wants you to worship anything, anybody. Bow down before the altar of anything or anybody, even a mirror. He doesn't want you to worship Almighty God. He wants to take that away. Remember what our Lord said. It's written in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, 35, excuse me. For I am come to set a man at variance. What? No, variance is a sin, but he said he's going to set a man at variance. Well, it's a different Greek word. But you need to hear this because it matters and it relates to what we're talking about. He's going to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. In other words, you're going to have strife you're going to have division. And when you look at that particular word, it means to alienate or cut into two parts. It means to sever. He said, because of him, your family members even will be driven away if they don't accept him. If they don't become followers of Christ, you're going to be severed from them. And you look anywhere else in the world, folks, and you see that is absolutely true. You see people whose families cut them off kick them out, send them out on their own because they accepted Christ. Our Lord separates believers from unbelievers, even within families, even within Christ's family sometimes. That's not comfortable for us, but it's the truth. He said so. And as we go forward, nearer to the time of His return, I believe we're going to see that division, that separation become more clear. Because either we're going to line up with this book that we call the Bible, we're going to line up with what God's Word gives us for the the parameters, the guidelines for our conduct, or we're not. And if we're not, we're going to be separated from the rest of the body. He says so. In fact, he says, don't worry about it, because when he comes, he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to take apart the the goats from the sheep, the sheep being the true followers, the goats being the false ones. He's going to separate. He's going to cast out the net, he says, and bring them all in, and then he's going to separate the good fish from the bad. That's what he says in his word, and I'm sorry I don't have those up there. You can't give I know, Tony. She's looking at me like, where's that at? It's not there. Thank you, Lord. Then we go on, we see emulations. That word's found 17 times. Figuratively, it means zeal. It can be a positive thing. We can have a positive zeal, or it can be negative, like jealousy, jealousy of an enemy. You know, the enemy of souls is jealous of you because you have a relationship with God and He's been cut off. Do you know that? And that's where this one comes in, folks. There's malice involved and and this fervent envying and indignation. How dare you? Who do you think you are? I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in my life from religious people. 
Who do you think you are? I don't think I'm anybody. You know who I think I am? I think I'm a child of the King. I think I'm a follower of Christ. I think I'm a preacher of God's Word. That's who I think I am. And as I preach His Word, I am attacked, sometimes within the very building that I'm preaching His Word in. And I say, praise be to God. He says, whenever they talk bad about you, you're blessed. Bring the blessings, Lord. No, not that, not that much. <laughs> Satan is envious of God's worship. He wants worship for himself, okay? And as a result, he's going to bring contentions within the body. It's a work of the flesh. It's not a work of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. His agents are extremely fierce in defending what uplifts him. They're fierce in their desire to diminish worshiping God. His agents become indignant. How dare you stand upon the Word of God? Who do you think you are? But that's emulation. We've already covered wrath. Yours truly, guilty. So we're going to move on to strife. It's found seven times in the Scripture, and it means electioneering, pushing oneself forward, trying to take over, trying to control. There's a desire to put oneself forward, a partisan and fractious spirit which does not disdain low arts. It means it embraces the low arts, witchcraft, sorcery, enchantment, divination, and other wicked schemes of Satan. It embraces those things to get its way. And this is something, unfortunately, that does enter the church from time to time. And all of us need to be on guard. All of us. Applied to those who serve in official positions for selfish purposes, we see that strife comes about whenever somebody's pushing for their own agenda, for their own uplifting. They want to gain their ends. And to do that, they promote division and factions for their narrow exclusive circle or their group of people. We've seen that. Unfortunately, we have seen that. We've seen it in the body of Christ, and this is why the song... Now, again, Todd didn't know when he chose that song for this morning, he did not know. He had no idea what my message was. I just want you all to know that. Long scattered thy children, O Zion, have been, but now they are gathering home. The Spirit is calling, they gladly obey. With songs of rejoicing they come. So we gather together. We don't resist unity. We don't resist this togetherness. We gather ourselves together because the Word tells us to, first of all. We want to be obedient, and so as obedient children... We gather together. We don't promote division. We don't promote factions. And we don't have a narrow, exclusive circle or group of friends that we associate with only. 
And then you go on to the next one, which is seditions. It's disunion, dissension, division. Further, it's, it's a stronger form of division. Rebellious dissension to receive selfish ends. And that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Don't forget that. When we're rebelling against our authentic authority, it's as if we're practicing witchcraft. And inciting resistance to or insurrection against lawful authority, we are violating the Word of Almighty God. Those who resisted the authority here did so to satisfy their selfish ends. They wanted what God forbids. And yours truly had to rebut their claims and resist their overthrow of God from His throne. And I've had to do that so many times, folks. I can't tell you how many times. I, 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 I don't remember. But I knew this time that I had to speak about it because God has assembled a new body of believers in this building. And a lot of you don't know each other, and I don't know you all, and you all don't know me very well. But I want to get to know you. Probably make it harder for me to preach. I might know things I don't want to preach about. <laughs> But if you knew everything about me, you probably wouldn't want me as your preacher. I'm a sinner, saved by grace, okay? I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been taken out of the depravity of the world, and I've been brought into His likeness by His work, not my own. I can affirm by God it was not by my work, it's by His. Heresies. It's an act of taking, taking, capturing. People following their own tenets, their own sector, their own party, their own thing, their own way, their own will. Heresies. And it arises from a diversity of opinions and aims. The devil himself was using people all through time to bring this work to pass. The devil himself said, I will arise, I will become like the Most High. That's the highest heresy, self-worship. He was trying to capture Christ's family and wanted to ensnare us into an idol worship. Instead of worshiping God, he wants us to worship self, and I refuse. I refuse. You all will know this. I refuse, absolutely refuse. Then we'll go on to envying. Ill will. The base of this idea is to morally corrupt and defile. See, if we worship self, we are morally corrupt. The root is jealousy because Satan is jealous of God's people. He's jealous of Almighty God. He wants what God has, but he can't have it because he's a created being. He's not the creator. It'll never happen. And so his agents seek to turn worship away from God. And again, we're back to that because that's where it really matters. And then we have murders. That's the unjust, unlawful killing. And, and where does that come from? We read where, where, where Christ himself said it starts in the heart. And we hate on somebody, that's the same as murdering them. We're guilty of murder. It's written in Matthew 15 and verse 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And then we have drunkenness. That means intoxication. Of any kind, it's intoxication, it's an altered state of mind and body, and the sorcerers love to get a hold of people this way. 
In Luke chapter 21 and verse 34, it's written, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your heart be overcharged with surfeiting, drunkenness, cares of this life, and so that that day, the day of Christ's return, comes upon you unaware. In other words, don't be drunk all the time because he's going to show up one day and you're going to be stoned and you're not going to know what to do because you're not going to be ready. That's what he's saying here, okay? In Romans chapter 13, it says, let us walk honestly. So what's the opposite of honestly? Dishonestly. As in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness. In other words, the sexual sins that we talked about earlier won't go into all that, but that's what it's covering. Not in strife and envying, all these other things. Do you see how Romans, Paul brings it all together? He says, you're not to do these things, all right? You're not to do them. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. See, in Christ, you are protected. You are kept. You are able to resist the temptation to whatever it is. You have the power by Him, not you. His power overrules your power. But you still have your free will. Then we have revelings, and that refers to feasts and drinking parties and that go late in the night, indulge in revelry, wild partying. The, the, it talks about a, uh, a group of people frolicking through the streets and singing and all that kind of stuff. I'm guessing that you all don't do that. Hey, I love having a good party. Don't get me wrong, okay? I do. But he's saying, don't do this all the time. Don't be this way. Don't conduct yourself, conduct yourselves in this manner. He's not saying not to enjoy life because the Word of God tells us very clearly we're to eat the fat, we're to drink the sweet. In other words, we're to enjoy the things of life. It was all made by Him, but don't do it to excess. That's what He's telling us. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 3, He says, We have spent enough of our past lifetime. This is Peter, the fisherman, okay? Fisherman like roofers, like bricklayers, like block layers, like ditch diggers, like you name the hard work in our day today, and fishermen were the hard workers, okay? They still are. We spent enough of our time doing these things, the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness and lusts and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. Now, Christ chose him, and he sinned against him. And I thought, there's a whole series of messages just on Peter. We could talk about how Peter did this and how Peter did that and how he did this and how he did that and all these things. And still, Christ used him and redeemed him. And so anybody, including yours truly, who has sinned just about every sin that you can sin, can be redeemed. And God's Word is clear. It says His work. His work. So don't think that you're too bad for God to fix you, all right? Don't think that at all. Don't think that at all, because He can fix you. He can take you from where you are and get you to where He wants you to be. He can do that. I want you to remember that it's written that the, those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. We read that earlier. In other words, those who live their lives committing adultery... Live their lives committing fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Do not get into heaven. We may not continue in this type of living and expect 
that we're going to show up one day, say, hey, God, how are you doing? And he's going to say, huh, who are you? That's what Jesus himself said. We're authorized by Almighty God to resist the devil, even when he arrives in people that are bringing these things, these works of the flesh, to manifest. We need to do it with love. We need to stand in the love of Christ. He gave us the example to follow. It's also written in the fifth chapter of Ephesians, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not once not be once named among you. Not even once. Not once. Oh, come on, God. Can we have a little fun just once? No, he says not once. As becometh saints. You see, you as the people of God, redeemed by Christ, you are saints according to God. It's not the saints like some of the church folks call saints. God calls you saints. Nobody else. He doesn't call Excuse me, there's nobody else that can call you saint. Nobody can say, well, you're a saint, you're not. You're a saint, you're not. No, God calls His people saints. Put these things aside. They're not to be named once among you. Not even filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Thank you, Lord. No unclean person, no nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Don't be fooled. God's wrath will come upon the children of disobedience. That's what His Word says. And that is, if I have any concern for the people that I preach to, it's that. Because some people are deluded into thinking somehow they can live contrary to the Word of Almighty God and still arrive to, hey, give me a high five, Jesus. Thanks for taking away my sins, even as I lived in them. But the fruit of the Spirit gives us hope. We're not going to have time to go into it all, but Lord willing, next week, if He allows, next week... We'll look at the fruit of the Spirit. But right now I'd like to read, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is in all righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit is in all truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's written in Galatians chapter 5. Joy. Peace. Long-suffering, that's a tough one, isn't it? Some of you folks know because we've been long-suffering. <laughs> we've just, oh, praise God. Kindness. Fruit of the Spirit is goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see, there's the hope, folks. It doesn't matter what sin you may have committed ever before. This moment in time, you can have forgiveness. 
it is available by God through Christ who sacrificed his life to pay, to atone for. He became the propitiation for our sins. Let us not become conceited, sin, provoking one another, envying one another, but let us walk in and worship in the Spirit and in truth. I know I stuck hard to the notes today, but I had to because I had so much to cover. Couldn't walk away. A lot of times I can walk away and just kind of ad lib and share with you. I'm not picking on anybody. Please know this. I'm not picking on anybody. I want you to know that I share God's Word in love because I want you to get to that place in your life where you can see the lines that God has painted, bright fluorescent lines in His Word that says, here's where you live. Here's the narrow path. Stay on it. That's what I want for everybody. I want you all to know that. Where's that line that He has you on? Where's it at? Because if you don't, you're in danger. And that danger is not just a five-minute danger or a half-hour danger or a one-day danger or a week or a month or a year. It is eternity. And I want everybody, I want all of you to rush up to me whenever I get there, if I get there after you, or maybe you come find me after you get there, after I get there. Thank you so much, Pastor. Thank you so much. You weren't afraid. Yes, I was, but I was brave enough to deliver the Word. Don't think that I'm not afraid, because I am. I'm afraid. You all could just take off and never come back, okay? And I'd be preaching to an empty room again. I've done that before. Not, I don't, John, I don't mind, do I? <laughs> it's better like this. I say praise God for each and every one of you, and I ask that He would fill your hearts with His Word today. If there's anything I said that's not of His Word, I ask that He would strike it from your minds and your hearts. Well, let's pray. Father, I thank You. Lord, I thank You that You give me the boldness to preach Your Word in the fullness of it, even when it's difficult. You give me bravery, Lord, to stand and pronounce Your truth even when it's some of the hardest in Your Word. I thank You, Father, that You and You alone took a hold of me today, and You allowed me to present Your Word so that each of us would have no doubt in our hearts. But if there is any doubt, Lord, if there's anybody here who needs prayer, I ask that You would move them out of their seats, onto their feet, so that they would come forward, Lord, onto their feet. Father, it's only You, it's only by You that I can speak at all, and I thank You for that. I praise You and by Your name and ask that You would pour Your Spirit upon each one in this room. And I, I say this all in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. And now, if you all don't mind, we'll receive an offering. I thank you all who have given gifts to help my wife and I to live. We are volunteers. We like it that way. We prefer it that way. And so, um, if you have anything you'd like to give to us, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine too. Um, just make sure it's indicated on your envelope or whatever, however you do it, or you can give it to us personally. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless us in our giving, that we would heed what your Word says, Lord. We can never outgive you. We trust that what we give today will be sufficient to meet the needs here and far beyond here, Lord, as we support those missionaries that go to places that we are unable to go. We pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen. amen.